Because of being at camp last week, obviously didn't get to continue where we were with the evangelism thing, and, and Dennis filled in. By the way, thank you for that very much. Uh, we're going to do a bit of review from where we were the week before and then pick up with kind of part two of that message. Uh, it kind of, uh, kind of all goes together. So I want to go back to the... That drives me nuts. I can see it. Uh, going to go back to uh, the, the, the research the Barna Group did. Uh, when Christians were asked if... if they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others. If you remember those stats that I gave you, I want to repeat those just so they are fresh in your mind. Uh, 73% of born-again Christians said, yes, it is their responsibility to share their faith with a world that doesn't know Christ. But when they were actually asked if they were putting that conviction that they have into practice, the numbers told an entirely different story. high-income families, but if you average them, it's only 52% of Christians are actually telling people about their faith. And I find that it might even be less than that, that that are telling people about their faith. Uh, Amongst low-income people, it was 57%. Amongst middle-income, it was 37%. And high-income was 52%. And most of us fall in the the middle-income bracket, and so we're, we're seeing... between low, middle, and income families uh, in somebody sharing their faith. And and we really couldn't come up with an answer except just that maybe uh, the low-income families and the high-income families are pretty content with where they are in life, and the middle-income family is afraid they're going to become low and really want to be high, and so they're spending all their time spending all their time trying to work and trying to network and all that rather than telling people about Christ. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is exactly, but that's what Barna found out, that 51% in 2010 and down to 37% currently. So two-thirds of the people in this world think it's necessary that Christians share their faith with a world that doesn't know Jesus, but only one-third of them are actually doing anything about it. That's pretty scary. It's also pretty scary that only two-thirds think that it's necessary from reading Scripture and seeing what God says about that. So, our responsibility. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, I read this last time, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, that God has given us this treasure that we have inside. If you remember us talking about this, uh, in this broken-down body that we have, broken and perfect, to show off the power that, is had, that, he, that he has and that we need to know his story. So we talked about the entire time knowing God's story. Knowing what he's done for us. If you know him as your savior, you should know his story. Obviously, you responded to that story when you heard it. And so you should know about it. And you should know what it actually means to accept Jesus as your savior. You should know what it means when he offered when God offered his son on a cross and know how all that works. Again, many ways to say it, but very simple. That things were perfect in the beginning and sin was introduced through selfishness. And there was separation from God, and sin, our sin, kept us from getting back to Him. And Jesus Christ becomes this go-between for us. 
and, and, and really neat the way that works and absolutely amazing. And in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were offered to roll back, push back people's sins. That was enough. It did everything. The Old Covenant did everything it was designed to do. But then Christ made way for a new, a new way a new and final way, a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was that sacrifice, and he died in our place. And everybody's sinful, and everybody needs a replacement. Now, I hope that story is second nature to you. I hope that you have no trouble telling someone about the gospel message. And that's really the gospel message, that we are all sinners, that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem of sin, And if we accept Him as our Savior, then we can live an abundant life, free and forgiven of the sins that we possess. That ought to be something that we know without even having to think about it. Second nature. So here's the second part of this. This part's just as important. It doesn't do the saving. It doesn't do the saving. But it helps people actually take a look at this gospel message. I found a long time ago that people don't want to be beat over the head with a Bible. They really don't. How effective do you think that street corner preachers are railing about sin and wickedness in the world? I'm not saying that people haven't come to Christ due to something like that. But statistics also tell us that most people come to Christ because of a relationship that they have with someone and seeing Christ work in that person. That's really how it works more often than not. So, first of all, we have to know God's story. And second of all, we got to use our story. We got to use our story. And every one of us has got a story. Every one of us can say, Once I was in darkness, now I'm in light. And that may be to a varying degree. And I know that it is. And we've talked before about testimonies how, when asked to share your testimony, can you say, Jesus has done this in my life this last year. So think about this now. What's Christ done in you in the last year? How are you different today than you were 12 months ago? Do you have an answer for that? Or are we just repeating the same things over and over again? And those of us who've been Christians for quite a while, we run the greatest risk of being in such a rut that we're repeating the same thing over and over again, and we really can't come up with an answer to that question, what's Jesus doing in your life? Can you recognize the fruit of the Spirit in your life that might be a little stronger now than they were before? Can you see an event that you've had to go through in the last year that 10 years ago you wouldn't have been able to come through it the way you just did? Can you see Jesus working in your life? See, if we're following him, then it it would make sense that we're becoming more and more and more like him every year, right? Every day. A little bit more like the person of Christ. That's the way this is supposed to work. So as you look at your life today and you look at your story, what's changed? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you surrendering more of yourself to him as as you live and as you breathe. So what's Jesus doing in your life? You see, that's what the world really wants to know. They want to look at us and they want to say that there have been changes that have been made and those changes would not have been possible without Christ. Yes? That's what they want to see. Because if you haven't changed, why would I want what you have? 
If I'm telling someone about an amazing financial opportunity, be it investing or be it sales or be it marketing or whatever, and they ask me the question, how has this changed your life? And I say, it hasn't changed my life. I have no more money than I used to have, and things are exactly the same. How many people do you think I'd sign up for that ride? It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same with a Christian life. If I can't share with people how I have changed because of what Christ has done in my life, why do they want what I have? Why do they care what I have? If I am not being transformed by the person of Christ, why do they care? So you see, our story is so fundamental so critically important to this whole equation as we share our faith. Now, my story's not going to save anybody. Your story's not going to save anybody. It's the blood and the power of Jesus Christ that saves. We've got to make sure we clarify that. But if I'm going to get people to look, if I'm going to look, get people to consider wanting what I have, then I better be able to tell them how I am different because of Christ. My wife has often said and repeats often that if Jesus had not got a hold of me at a young age, I probably would be in prison. And I tell her I'd be a crime boss somewhere because I wouldn't have gotten caught. But, but that's neither here nor there. We can look at our lives and we can say, here's where I'd be if it weren't for Christ. Here's what he's done in me. Here's how he's transformed me. And some of you folks have more radical stories than others. And some of you have an amazing example of transformation that's taken place in your life. But I, but I don't want to downplay the power of saying, I have done my best to live for Jesus ever since I was little bitty, and here's what he has kept me from. Here's what it's possible to do. Here's the things that I was able to avoid because of that. But everybody has a story. It's unique, and you need to use your story. Sometimes called a testimony, but the point is the same. What has Jesus done in your life? How has he changed you? I love to hear that. I love to see the changes that have taken place in people. That is the coolest part of ministry. And I want to tell you today, that's the neatest part of me being able to be here with you at Mundell for 24-some years is being able to look at people and see how they've changed. And see what's happened in their lives over time. And, and we can all see how we've all changed over time. And the things that we're able to do and the things that we're willing to do at this point in life. When I first started coon hunting with Luke Britton and met him, and I had asked him, if I had asked him to preach a sermon someplace in front of people he didn't know, I know what the answer would have been. You go die in a hole somewhere, but I'm not doing it. And God changes us and he develops us and, and he's just so cool to watch how we all transform. You can see it in me, hopefully. I can see it in you. And that story that we have, that testimony that we have, is what leads people to a life-changing, life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the cool part about sharing our faith, is we have our story and we get to share our story. One of the most incredible stories that I've ever heard in a person who has been transformed goes to church with us here at Mundell. 
and I don't know if you've heard his story or not, but I've asked Dave Martinez to come up right now and share his story about how Jesus has transformed him down through the years. So if you don't know Dave and Ann, you need to get to know them. Maybe we should have introduced them this morning too. I don't know. But, but Dave, Dave's going to come up and share. His, his story is just absolutely phenomenal, and he's using it for the kingdom. It's so one thing I hate is getting up here and talking to people. Another thing I hate is getting up here and crying. Seriously. I'm 65 years old. I'm from California originally, born and raised in California with the normal family. But as a kid, you know, Mexican families are a little different. There's not all that love, hugging, kissing, and stuff like that. So it wasn't really a kind of life that you folks have. I got a brother that's a year older with, as I am, exactly to the day. He's not a twin, exactly a year apart. And he's in prison right now in New Jersey. He's been in prison for 32 years. And he was my crime partner. Everything we did, we did together. If we went out and stole something, we went out and did it together. If we would not took somebody's drugs, we would not have did it together. I got put in the system when I was 12 years old. I've been to juvenile hall, I've been to YA, and I've been to prison. And like I said, I come from a normal family. Parents loved us. Father died when I was 11 years old. And after that, it's when just Everything fell apart. I never in my life would have ever thought that I'd be sitting in a church with two police officers. <laughs> never. My whole thing was always to stay away from the cops. I didn't like cops. I didn't like any authority. And that's how my life went. Growing up, didn't work, got into gangs, was a gangbanger, did all that. My mom, I knew, would always pray for us. And she'd tell us that she'd pray for us every day for God to keep us safe. And I know God was right there with us. Even though my brother's in prison, I know that he was there taking care of us. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. I went to prison in 1979 when I was 22 years old. They gave me 13 years. I did eight years out of it. And I told myself that I would never, ever come back. And it wasn't because I was scared of prison or anything because I had already been in the system. I went to YA and that was like a junior prison. So I was already more or less adjusted to being locked up. But I told myself I would never ever go back to jail and that I was going to stop doing the things that I was doing. The day I walked out of jail, my brothers picked me up 
And we went to his house, and he had probably a good-sized eight ball of rock cocaine, and we got high. I moved in with my other brother, and we got high, we got high. Still didn't work. Moved out to upper part desert, Palmdale, California, and went to work at a trust company. I built trusts for my life, most of all my life. And my life was kind of getting away from the drugs, but I was still doing them. Then I started drinking, and I finally let go of the drugs, but then I went ahead and started, that was my choice of drug, was the alcohol then, and I thought I got away from it. I thought I finally went ahead and just said, I'm done, but it didn't happen. I would drink me a 24-pack every day. Seven days a week, I would drink a 24-pack. There ain't a drug out there that somebody makes that I haven't done. And I wasn't a dirty type of a drug dealer, I mean a drug addict. I shot heroin, I shot coke, all that stuff, but I didn't want marks on my arms. I just didn't like that. I thought that looked tacky. That made me, look, made me feel like I was dirty, but I still was doing it. And regardless of what you use, it's still the same thing. You're doing that drug. My mom died in 1999. I went to Las Vegas in 90. I was already married to my wife, Anne. And I went up there to try to get away from all the madness. I took my kids up there. I got three, two boys and, and a girl. And I figured it'd probably be a better place up in the desert where nobody's at to raise my kids so they don't get into the stuff that I got into. Well, Lord behold, I was wrong. There is more drugs in Las Vegas than there is in California. There is more gang violence in Las Vegas. There's everything that you want out there. I was out there for five years and then my boy, the oldest one, David, was getting in fights every day at school, only because he was sticking up for his brother and his sister. So I decided to go back to California, even though I didn't want to. And I have a brother that's here. He's been here probably for about 20-something years. He came down with General Motors. And he told me, he goes, why are you going back to California? I says, I got to get out of here. David's just fighting too much. He's going to end up in jail. And he was only in junior high at that time. So he goes, well, why don't you come on out here? And never in my life have I ever thought I'd be in Indiana. I've never even heard of Indiana. <laughs> Seriously. He says, you know what? He goes, this is a good place to live. It's slow. You don't have all that madness. You got good schools. And the people, when you drive down the street, they always wave at you. So I loaded up my truck hooked up a van, took, flew two of my kids out to my brother's house, and I came out here. And I'll tell you one thing, that was the weirdest thing that somebody can experience that's not from here. There's people waving at you all the time while you're driving. <laughs> and would ask me, hey, do you know them? I said, no, I don't know. <laughs> and the way you guys talk, that was a different thing too. Like, thank you much, you know? I worked for vendors for five years. And when I moved out here, 
I again told myself that I was done with everything, but I wasn't. I kept on drinking. I wasn't doing the drugs, I was just drinking. And if I could get the drugs, I never went looking for them. But if somebody had them, I would do them. And that went on and went on and went on. And I still was drinking a 24 pack, and if not more, every day. And my wife can tell you, you know, I mean, but I went to work every day. That was one good thing. I still provided for my family. Well, I ended up picking up three OWIs in five years. And on my third one, I got picked up in a litty. And I went to jail. They violated my probation, went to jail, and I sat there for 11 months. And that's where I accepted God into my life. You know, we were sitting there, and this preacher was talking, and it's like he was saying, if you have the courage and are not embarrassed of God, then you'll get on your knees and pray with me. I'll tell you, I never in my life ever experienced something that came over me. Something just gave me comfort. And I've never in my life ever experienced that. Through my whole life, I never trusted anybody. I'm a person that doesn't really, it's not that I don't trust people, it's just hard for me to do. Just because I was the way I was, I grew up. I got on my knees and I told God that when I left this county jail, I would never, ever take another drink or smoke another cigarette or do any drugs. In 2002, Ann told me that she was coming to this church. And I said, well, when I get out, that's what I want to do. I want to get our lives together. I want to give my life to God. And I don't want to be into that. I've been going here since 2002. We got baptized here. John baptized us. And I'll tell you what. You folks are so fortunate to live in Indiana. You guys are so fortunate that you really don't understand how good you have it here in this state, or at least in Heltonville. Kids, don't ever, ever let a man or a woman, a girl or a boy tell you anything different than try to get you out of the way from God. Always, always, always stay with God because God will keep you on that right path. God loves you. I'll tell you that because I know for a fact that he loves you. If God can love me and turn me from the things that I did and give me that comfort and that love that he gives me every day, when I get up in the morning, I thank God. Every morning when I eat something, I thank him for it. I don't care where I'm at. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who says anything about me, about me loving God. That's my father, and I hold him in my heart, and I will never, ever turn my back on God. Never. And I just want you folks to know that that's, you guys have such a good thing here in this town, in this state. There are so many churches here, and you've got wonderful people in Indiana. We've been out here since 1995. 
And I would never in my life ever go back to California or anywhere else. I would be buried back there in that cemetery. So I want you guys to know that God loves you. He'll never turn his back from you. He'll never leave you. You just got to let open your hearts, open your minds, listen to what John's saying. Don't just sit here and just take it in and walk out the door and it's done. Keep it in your mind. Think about it every day. Get in that Bible. Uh, don't get me wrong. I have a long way to go and God knows that. My biggest thing is I need to start reading my Bible more and more and more. And the only reason I retired from work, I didn't want to. But the younger generation that is going to work now is lazy and on the phone all the time and disrespecting people. And myself, I've never been one to keep my mouth shut. I will never, never in my life ever let anybody down talk an adult. Never. I don't care who it is. If I was to ever see it, I would tell that person something. I would. And that's my biggest fault that I have that still instilled in me. And I pray to God and I ask him every day to give me that strength to avoid all that stuff. When I came out here, I was pulling people over because they got flipped me off or they said something to me. I pulled people over in front of the darn jail. That's how stupid I was. Seriously. God loves you guys, man. I'm telling you. There ain't no better person to love than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our Father in Heaven. Thank you, guys. Use your story. Use your story. Whatever it is. And it may not be as, as radical and life-changing as what Dave's is, but use your story. We are to endorse Jesus Christ in whatever we do and wherever we go and to tell the world about him. God's plan is still for his people to tell the world about him, about Christ. And there's so many attributes that God has that it's really easy for us to be able to brag on him. So you have this treasure within you. And it's our responsibility to tell the world about that treasure and use, our, and use our story. Thanks, Dave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love us, that you're patient with us. And Father, I thank you for the, the transforming power of, of Jesus. So God, I ask that you help us to take seriously the responsibility that we have to share you with the world, to be salt and light, to tell people about what you have done for us and introduce them to the person of Christ so that we can be reconciled with you. Thank you, Father, so much for using all of us, whatever our story is, to lead people to you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.